This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm Melissa Rao, your host, and this podcast is a conversation inspired by Bishop Wright's Four Faith weekly devotional sent out every Friday. You can find a link to this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe to Four Faith in the episode's description. It's good to be back with you again, Bishop. Good to see you, Melissa. Yay. You named this week's Four Faith devotion Breaking News. Yeah. And I'm always struck by exclamation points. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm wondering if you could share what about John 15 ver- uh, chap- uh, verses 1 through 8 gets you most pumped up. Well, okay. <laughs> well, first, I mean, it's it's breaking news because we live in a culture where we bounce from breaking news to breaking news to breaking news, right? And the news, as far as I can tell, is breaking us, right? I mean, it's it's trauma, it's bad news, it's a lot of things. And so, um, you know, part of this is me being a little bit cheeky, but, but you know, I want to get back and reclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as breaking news, right? News that breaks, uh, it, 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 it breaks, uh, breaks us uh, uh, in a way that is constructive, that breaks us uh, so that we can be ready for new life. It breaks pride. It breaks selfishness, um, you know. It breaks uh, self-centeredness, right? So, so I it's just me playing around a little bit, uh, you know. But as as for for John fifteen one through eight, you know, I'm always so struck. I mean, the the, the best argument for me to to tell you know to tell people why to read the Bible, right, and not just you know once, right, is th- to read at depth. Because you're changing, and as you change, the story changes, and the details that pop out to you change. And so real relationship happens. It's like having a friend of many decades. Mm. Um, There's a familiarity. There's a clarity there. Uh, And so, you know, Jesus is reconstituting the community. He's showing up. You know, he wants to talk. And he wants to give them some sense of the activity of God. We need that now, don't we? Where is God is the question. Right. In all the breaking news of the day, people want to know where is God. And here's Jesus always on the floor, always on the ground, telling us, hey, let me tell you where God is. God is in the vine. God is in the sheep. God is in the, you know, uh, you know, God is in all these wonderful images and elements all around us. And so he's always wanting to keep us mindful, right, that God is active. And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, do you worship actively an active God? Mm. So I was thinking about the vine branches and the fruit. Yeah. And it's so funny because that word fruit really stuck out to me this time. Because again, it hit me and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's not just about the vine and branches. <laughs> about the fruit, right? Right. right. So um, what the power, the, I get, I'm thinking about the power source for good fruit is Jesus. Like abiding in Jesus, as you say, complying and upholding Jesus's words and ways. Yeah is what yields good fruit. So what are your thoughts on the importance of scripture reading? Like, do you have any tips and tricks for folks who may feel intimidated by it? Yeah. Well, I've said before, you know, the, the best way to read the Bible is slowly, right? <laughs> so a lot of people are like, I read the Bible, you know, in a series of months. Well, yeah, you probably didn't get a whole lot out of that. I mean, you got it done. You checked the box. But I find if you read slowly, 
is is the is the better way. I, I find out, you know, my Bible reading goes better for me, is more illuminating for me. When I stop, I write in the notes uh, in the margins of my Bible. If I have a, if I'm on my iPad, I can stop and and make a note to myself there. I'm in, interacting with the text. I'm interacting with Jesus. Um, I'm trying to grapple with some of his questions in my own life. Um, I think this is how Jesus really, his words and ways unlock fruitfulness in us, right? Because it, it, he pushes us past status quo thinking that we're so indoctrinated into. And he, he introduces us, in some ways, he, inter- he takes us backstage, right? He introduces us to a world in front of our eyes that we don't see every day. Right. He, he just he, he's, he's he's almost like there's a hand outstretched to us and says, hey, come, let me show you something. Or, you know, this is where I imagine Jesus as a southerner and Jesus saying, <laughs> Jesus saying, I can show you better than I can tell you. Right. So. So. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I think read slow. I think intimidation is one thing. I, I, I get that. I think the best way to do that is to chop it up in small bite sized pieces. Um, I think the Psalms are always a great place to start. Um, because of the emotional honesty there. We find friends in the Psalms, people who are like, I'm mad at you, God, or hey, God, you're wonderful, or look at that mountain, or how about those trees, and you know, and uh, where are you right now? And oh, there you are, and you pulled me out of the fire. And I like that. Um, mm-hmm. Matthew, it's Mark, honest. Luke, yeah. yeah. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I think, you know, uh, is, is great. I mean, so I would say, tell anybody, you know, maybe if you like stories, Luke is the Uncle Remus of the Bible. You know, he wants to tell you a story all about Jesus. I think if you, you know, Mark is the uh, is the New Yorker of the Gospels. You know, his word is immediately, immediately, immediately. Jesus is doing this, that, and the other thing. So I say, I think slowly, you know, uh, is the best way to do it. And, uh, you know, with a dictionary close by or a thesaurus close by. Because you really want to get down into, you know, the shades and the nuances in these words so they can bless you. Is there a way not to read the Bible? Yeah. Oh, come on. (laughs) So so if you're reading the Bible so that you can prove that you're already right, you're not really reading the Bible. Right. Like if, if you if you're going if you're if you're going to the Bible and if you're also going to the Bible, right, to use it as a battering ram. Right. So some people want to get a, a, a verse or two and stick it in their back pocket so they could beat other people over the head with it. Right. That's probably not the best way to read the Bible. Um, if you want to if you want to grab a verse or two so that you can sort of wield that at friend or colleague or, or a person who's different from you. That's probably not the right way to do it. I, I think this is why you, uh, the argument to read the Bible in its entirety is to get the thrust, the overarching message. And the overarching message is God is love, right? And so that is the active agent in the Bible, right? And so, and so uh, uh, then you pull down from there into these circumstances and these stories and um, how people have suffered and dealt with pain and found God, you know, mighty to save. So I, I think that's the best best way to go. It Bishop Curry has a wonderful a way to say it. Instead of you know, if it ain't about love, it ain't about God. I think that's that's a lens to sort of put on as you're reading the Bible and see how God. Uh, well, let me say this. I think the most important way to read the Bible is to see who is the God of the Bible. 
a lot of us come to the Bible with these notions of God that we've got cooked up uh, or, or someone has cooked them up and, and presented them to us. Mm-hmm. And we're really, we're really not discerning consumers in that regard. Uh, I'll tell you uh, something very honest about my own life. When, when I was in college, I, I met, and, and this is not nice to say, but I, I met uh, people who I, I would have called sort of, um, you know, sweet and nice Christian people. And they kept telling me what was in the Bible. And so uh, I got sick of it. And uh, so I read the Bible, uh, I guess, I suppose, out of arrogance. I wanted to know what was in it for myself. And I got hooked. Uh, and then I devoured it. It was delicious to me. So uh, I would just suggest to you, don't, 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 uh, don't go with the bishop says, don't even go with your, what your priest says, or your televangelist of choice says, read it for yourself. That, that's what I love about the Bible. It's, it's universal and personal simultaneously. Hmm. Okay. So what then of context, what, what's the import of trying to understand what was going on back then that may or not necessarily be going on now? Like, do you feel like interpretation is important or I I don't know what I'm trying to get at. I, I just wonder, does anybody, do you need a good study Bible or is just any Bible? Like, do you have any thoughts or opinions on that? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I mean, you wouldn't use a you wouldn't use a plumber if they were not good and effective and experienced and time tested, right? Or you know, a car mechanic, right? So I mean, it's not any different from that. What I would want to do is I want to make sure that I had some resources. So I started my own journey with the Bible with the study Bible, and that study Bible had more questions than it had answers. And then you start looking around, you know, what I would call the, the the good spiritual marketplace and finding who are, you know, finding people who are those good teachers uh, who want to wrestle with these questions of the Bible with intellectual honesty, right? Who are not just proof texting and yeah. that, and that helps. I mean, what we're talking about, it seems like we're talking about Bible, but what we're really just talking about is fruit, right? Because if Jesus's words produce fruit in us, then what we want to do is we want to get in contact with source and sources, spirit released through words, right? And so what we want to do is put those words at the center of ourselves so that we can begin to do refinements and improvements and adaptations that change our actual living life so that our life becomes fruitful. The Bible, you know, I mean, even in this little lesson here from John 15, you know, he says is that anything that's not living, you know, God purges, right? And so, I mean, I think w- one way not to, li- to read the Bible and one way not to approach Jesus is like you're already a preassembled element, right? Here I am. All I need is the, you know, the stamp or the gold star, Jesus, and I'm off, off I go. And Jesus is saying, I love you. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Full stop. And because I love you, I want to invite you on a journey where you'll produce even more fruit. Did you notice in the story that those who are already being fruitful are also pruned so that they can increase in fruitfulness? Hello, somebody. That's right. right? So, so, so this is this is the way in which. I mean, look, I'm not a gardener necessarily. I did do a time as a landscaper, and I learned this. I learned that this is how you produce more vibrant blooms and many more blooms in a rose bush. Yeah. Not by letting it go buck wild, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right? But by really careful, loving, 
experienced pruning. Yeah. And so it is for our lives. And so it is with our loving God who loves us enough to care that we produce fruit. Yeah. Well, friends, we'll be back with four people after a short break. This is Four People producer Easton Davis inviting you to listen in next Friday, May 7th for a conversation with All Saints Atlanta parishioner and Georgia State Senator Mary Margaret Oliver. Follow us on IG and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright and subscribe to this episode for all updates. And now, back to Four People. Welcome back to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Bishop, I'm wondering about the people Jesus gathered. Like you mentioned in your devotion that Jesus gathered the day laborers and the poor people to share God's plan for humanity. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are that if if Jesus were born, say, in the 1990s, and he were in his active ministry in 2021, who do you think the type of people would be that Jesus would be gathering? So I think you know the answer, right? I mean, so this is one of the reasons why the Bible is important, because it it, it anchors our musing, right? Because if, we're, if we don't anchor our musing, then we, we, we might go places and we might assign things to Jesus that perhaps are not in keeping, right? In keeping with who he was. And so I, it, it seems to me you know, being anchored in what he did do in the Bible that we do have uh, is, is that he, he finds people at the, uh, you know, at the margins. He finds people, uh, you know, in places that I call the fingernail dirty places of the world. Uh, he convenes people who want to be convened. He convenes the hungry and the thirsty and the curious of God. Um, he convenes the people who, uh, for whom the uh, the uh, the middle cl- upper middle class temple is unwelcoming, uh, he convenes people who don't have money to tithe, um, and he can and he convenes you know so he does he convenes all of those folks, but but all are welcome. I mean, I think we have to we have to notice that when Jesus starts talking in many places, lots of people show up. It's a crowd. Mm. It's a crowd, but. But he seems to have particular import and power with those who seem to not have felt like they had a place, right, in fine, upstanding religion, right? And, 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 and also, he would convene people who want to know something about an active God in the world. This is where Walter Brueggemann is a genius, and he helps us remember this, right? For some of us, we don't actually need an active God. We've got our portfolio, and that's fine, and we've got our this, and that's fine, and we've got access to justice in the courts because we can get the finest lawyers, and we, we, we really don't need an active God. But there are some people for whom, uh, you know, they don't have advocates. The system is not an advocate. The status quo is abusive for them. So Jesus would be convening those folks, the folks who actually need God. You know, in this meditation, John 15, Jesus says, without me, you will do nothing. An ominous way to end, you know, a gathering. You know, and and I think what he's saying is, is that I can be relied on to actually take you the full way to show you abundance. But if you don't want any of that, that's cool. I mean, if you want nothing, 
right? <laughs> then that's cool too. I mean, I love how Jesus is always inviting, but never condemning and shaming. It's like, look, if you want to go on this journey, cool, let's go. I can show you some stuff. But if you don't want, that's cool too. But Jesus does this. He doesn't say everything is equal and okay. He says that particular direction, there's not a whole lot down there. And soon you'll find out for yourself. And maybe you need to take that journey. But he's also very clear of where the fruit is. Right. So there's this there's this gift of clarity and good directions, but ultimately the choice is up to us. I love that. You also said to you, well, no, you didn't say, but you mentioned in your devotion that Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And I'm wondering if you can unpack that a little bit. Like, what does that mean? And what does that not mean? Yep. Well, let me let's let's start off. Let's let's bring ourselves to that to that first of all. I mean, I, I think you know I'm 57 years old, and you you're a youngster, of course. But you know, there's a lot of us out here who've been in life a little bit. We've been in relationships a little bit. We actually know, uh, left to our own devices, the nothing that we continually produce, the the brokenness we replicate. We actually know what that's like, leaning on our own misunderstandings. We know what, if we're honest, we know what we'll produce. We know, some of us, that without the intervention of Jesus's words and his ways and his example, we would be, in it, we would be up to our ears in it, right? Um, and we know also, some of us, that after we've dug a hole of our own digging, that we've experienced Jesus's words and ways being a rescue rope to us. Right. So so at least when I hear this, I hear me being invited to think about the nothingness I already know that I can produce without any intervention. And I don't know about you, but I can produce a whole lot of nothingness. <laughs> That's yeah. <funny. laughs> I mean, it'll look good. You know, I mean, I'm an Episcopalian afterwards. It'll, it'll look I mean, after after all, it'll look good. It'll be decorated. It'll be finally appointed, but it'll be ultimately hollow. <laughs> Right, the fruit it'll, fig tree. It'll be nothing, right? It'll be plastic fruit, you know. You know, the plastic fruit. I'm a man of a certain age, and I remember when people used to put these big sort of uh, <laughs> <laughs> representations of fruit in bowls on their tables. But it would be plastic, right? <laughs> but like at a distance, it looked like fruit, right? I, I, this is in some ways what Jesus is saying, right? He's like, go go back to your 1960s, 1970s self and, and see that bowl of plastic fruit sitting on the table. Oh, boy, doesn't it look delicious? <laughs> right up until the time you have a genuine hunger. Then you right. got nothing. I think this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, do you, want, do you want the appearance of fruit, man, or do you want fruit? Yeah. Right. And so I, I think the truth of the matter is, is that many of us are attracted to the appearance of fruit. And I think the world by and large is attracted to the appearance of fruit over fruit because fruit, real fruit has a particular cost. Right. So, I mean, I hear again, Jesus loves us enough to give us an invitation. And the invitation is, hey, uh, if you refrain, if you just flip his words around, he's saying, I can show you where a whole lot of something is. So do you want nothing or do you want something? Right. And I, res I, I, I'm grateful that Jesus respects us so much to give us a choice, to give us a choice. Right. Cause, cause some of us are duty bound and hell bent on, on nothingness. Right. Yeah. Well, right. It's, funny. it's funny. You mentioned the choice. Sometimes we choose that plastic fruit Yeah. and then, and then the real fruit tastes all the much better because we've tried the plastic fruit. <laughs> Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> you know? Look, the prodigal son had to go eat with the pigs before he realized how good he had it. 
Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, is some of us have eaten a whole lot of plastic bananas and peaches and whatever it is, and then said, hell, that ain't fruit. Right. And the injury we've done to ourselves, the injury we've done to one another, and only to finally turn around and say, okay, hmm, let me try this another way. Right. So there, there's a humility that happens here too. Like, it, it, you know, uh, I, I love uh, the, this. The, I saw a wonderful video, bit of a video magazine piece. And a lady was uh, formerly a, a prostitute, a sex worker. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, but she didn't condemn and shame people who were still uh, on the streets selling themselves. Right. Uh, even though she herself had left that life. But what she said was to them, she got out of her van every night, late at night, and found these girls and gave them, you know, hygiene products and gave them all this sort of a little care package. And she would hug them and love them and say, whenever you're tired, let me know. Right? And so in some ways, Jesus is saying this, you know, when you get your full of that plastic fruit, give me a shout. Right. And I think that's the invitation to all of us, because then he wants to say, hey, let me show you the difference between life with me and that life. Let me show you what it's like. Right. And the truth of the matter, human nature being what it is. And I've been there and perhaps you've been there, too, is, is that one of the reasons now we're so convicted that God is good is because we've had our absolute belly full of plastic fruit. And so, you know, so I guess you know, I mean, the question would be, where are you at on your journey? You know, where, where are listeners at on your journey? Have you had enough facsimile of, hmm. right? <laughs> you know, because whenever you get that fullness of that, or that emptiness, as it were, of that, hey, there's this Jesus saying, I got some ideas about life and life abundant. And so this is what Jesus is saying. And it's an invitation to all and to everyone. And notice here, while his invitation is clear and he's clear about fruitfulness, nobody gets shamed and nobody get condemned. Nobody gets condemned. This is Jesus's genius, right? Because he knows that what will really produce fruit in us is not having been shamed into a direction or condemned into a direction, but loved into a direction. And so out of us comes a more pure response. My response is, wow. You know, Paul said it wonderfully, didn't he? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While I didn't even know I needed good fruit, hey, there's a bowl of real fruit right there. <laughs> and that's the good news, friends. <laughs> Bishop, thank you. And thank you for listening to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, share this episode with a friend, and we'll look forward to be back with you next week.